0: Take your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, in chapter number one, and then we'll also spend some time in the first chapter of Acts as well, but we'll start out there in Luke, chapter number one. Uh, A kid asks his dad one day, Daddy, what is a man? And the father responded and said, well, son, a man is someone who's responsible and cares for his family. The son thought a little bit and said, Daddy, I can't wait till I grow up. I can be a man just like Mama is. (laughs) That's probably a pretty appropriate statement at many households. Certainly, that is the case at mine. And since I have a microphone and you do not, I just want to say, uh, I want to honor the three uh, mothers in my life. My mother, who prayed this church into existence... Uh, who's a godly lady and who has had an influence on my life beyond any uh, beyond any statements that could be made in a public forum. She is just such a wonderful influence on me. My mother and I did not always see eye well, let me not use past tense verbs, my mother and I do not always see eye to eye on everything. <laughs> but I will tell you that even in times where I was a hard-headed teenager, she would come out to... West Coast Baptist College, where she was uh, you, know, alienated from her son all that great distance apart, and she would just come out there and shower me in love and gifts and take me to the nicest restaurants and get me whatever I needed. And uh, that was just a way of her expressing her love for me. And so I'm thankful for my mother. I'm thankful for my wife because my wife is as good of a mother as there is in the world. she's a godly, godly lady. And she is stressed out to the max most days. And uh, she just trucks right on through it. And I cannot thank her enough. And I, I, I thank the Lord for her today. And then my mother-in-law. And uh, this is crazy, but most people have a, a rather tumultuous relationship with their mother-in-law. I make mother-in-law jokes, but I make mother-in-law jokes like, uh, you know, we make Aggie jokes. I've never met a bad one, but maybe they're out there somewhere. Uh, uh, You know, my mother-in-law is a godly lady. I love spending time with her. I love the influence that she has on my family. And God has seen fit to bless me with three of the godliest mothers that I've ever known. They're all very intimately connected to my life, and I thank the Lord for them all today. And I'm sure that if you had the microphone, you could do a better job at appreciating your mother. But today at lunch, or today uh, even just on a phone call, why don't you take the chance to take your microphone and tell your mother just how much you appreciate her. We come to a unique uh, study today, as many pulpits around the nation are probably very united in what they'll study. I've got a feeling most of them are talking about mamas in one way or another. I read many sermons, I read many articles about mothers, and one that particularly drew my attention, maybe it's because I'm a nerd or a geek, whatever the case, but it was this one lady on the internet that compared mothers to superheroes. I thought that was pretty appropriate, and she did so by saying that she noticed a few ways that they were quite similar. The first way was that they have alter egos. Uh, They have a second personality that is harder to access but sometimes gets shown. A lot of times this is when they've not had enough sleep and uh, maybe the exact right buttons are pushed. That's when they go from the mother who sweetly says your first name to the mother that says your whole name uh, to get your attention. Mothers have alter egos. They also have a few fatal flaws, and certainly that's okay. Uh, Sometimes that can be chocolate. Maybe it's a Mountain Dew. But moms need and have their flaws. But the reality is it's these perfect imperfections that make them your mom. And we recognize that today. But at the end of the day, probably one of the ways they're most like superheroes is moms always get the job done. No matter how difficult things may get and how perilous the situation, moms get the job done. My daughter yesterday was sitting, getting ready uh, for the Pine Car Derby. My wife was running around. She was having to go to another event. I was taking the kids to the Pine Car Derby and I saw my oldest daughter, Caitlin, getting ready. She sat down on the floor and I noticed that she was completely ready, but her shoes were untied. I was sitting on the couch and I said, Caitlin, do you need some help tying your shoes? She said, no, sir. I said, okay, that's fine. Caitlin literally, five seconds later, says, Mom, can you come tie my shoes? It's bad when your daughter does not feel you are qualified enough to tie her shoes. But that's because moms fix all problems. They get the job done. And I want to add one today, and certainly it's a little bit selfish because it plays right into my sermon. I think one of the ways that moms are like superheroes is that they do most of their work in the shadows. Unseen, unthanked, unheard. But there they are, working away in the shadows years ago when I was a sophomore in Bible college I had to write a paper it's the longest paper that we write in college uh, it's a 10 page single space paper and you choose your topic I had chosen the deity of Christ and I basically preached about four sermons uh, and typed them out on the on the paper to make my word count and paper length uh, suffice this Bible doctrines too so it's a It's not a senior level class, but it's certainly graded at a pretty high standard. And I needed somebody to proofread my work. I do not do well with grammar. Uh, Commas are my mortal enemy. And so I needed someone to proofread my work. So I asked my mom, if she would, to uh, proofread my work. So I sent her the paper the night before it was due. Uh, California time and Texas time are a little different. I was two hours Uh, behind, so when I sent her my paper at 8 o'clock, it was already 10 o'clock here, and uh, she didn't have time to get on it right then. She woke up very early in the morning and made sure that it was all done the right way, and it just so happened where the schedule worked out where she couldn't send the email to me and then me forward it to my professor, so my mom ended up sending the email of my paper to my professor. There, my Bible Doctrines 2 paper was from Ginger Wolfenbarger. And as Brother Lester is going down the list of all the people, he says, Okay, I have these, I don't have these. He said, And by the way, Andrew, I need to ask you a question. I said, Okay, what is it, sir? He said, Did your mom write your paper for you? I said, No, sir, but I wish you had. It would probably been a better grade. I wish my mom would have been a little more in the shadows in that particular instance actually come to think of it. But moms do their work in the shadows. We find a lady today who does most of her work in the shadows. We study Mary, the mother of our Lord. I want to notice three quick things about her this morning. She was a woman who spared nothing. A woman who spared nothing. You see, the pages between your Old Testament and New Testament though often represented by a single page, is actually a period of years, about 400 years. Though Malachi is the last book in your Old Testament, it is not the last event recorded, chronologically speaking. Nehemiah contains events that kind of roll up to the latest uh, indication of what the latest writing in the Old Testament was. Some 432 B.C. people guesstimate that Nehemiah closes its writings... And for the next 400 years, we have no record of God moving in and amongst His people. This is what's known in theology as the intertestamental period. Some call it more commonly the silent years. 400 years where God just does not speak. 400 years of silence. 400 years of nothingness from God to His nation, His people of Israel. And then the Bible starts, whether it's in Matthew or Mark and Luke or in John. A few of the Gospels start by revealing to us that there are two interesting communications that take place right away. The first communication in this 400 year span is a man by the name of Zechariah. Who's in the temple serving the Lord as a priest. He's performing his roles as a priest. And Gabriel reveals himself and shows himself to him there. And he tells him that they're going to bear a son. Now, they're very old. In fact, they're kind of like a New Testament type of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Zechariah, his wife's womb was shut. She was barren. She couldn't have children. But God supernaturally uh, allowed her to have children. And Gabriel told Zechariah there in the temple that he would have a son, and that son would be John the Baptist. Zechariah is the first man to receive God's revelation... In about 400 years. The problem is, Zechariah does not respond in faith. He responded like many of us probably would. <laughs> well, we're kind of old, so how's that going to work? And when he does that, Gabriel says, Don't you know who you're speaking to? I'm the angel that stands in God's presence. I am I, the guy that can tell you a message like this, and God can do all things. Because of this, Zechariah is, is, is made dumb. In other words, he couldn't speak. So though Zechariah is the first person to receive God's revelation in some 400 years, he can't go tell anyone about it. He's just, he doesn't have the ability to speak. Now, they, he comes out of the temple, and people are like, well, I guess something must have happened in there, and there's this idea that maybe something happened, but they have no way of confirming it. The second person to receive God's revelation in this span of time is Mary. About five months later... The Bible tells us that Gabriel shows up to her. We'll read, if you will, in Luke chapter 1, in verse 26, Gabriel appears to Mary. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Luke, being a doctor, goes to the greatest lengths to, uh, to defend the virgin birth of Christ. Over and over, Luke defends the fact that she was not just a young maid, but she was, in fact, a virgin. And she needed to be, in order for Christ to be the sinless Son of God. So the Bible goes on to say, in verse 28, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Verse 29 makes some sense when you take into account nobody's heard from God in four hundred years. At least nobody that can be confirmed. She is the first person in her mind, because Zechariah can't tell her that he's been spoken to. She is the first person. She said, Well, what kind of message is this? Is this a good message or a bad message? The Bible goes on to say in verse 31, or verse 30, The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of God, a son of the the highest. The Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end again, Dr. Luke goes to the greatest degrees to preserve the virgin birth of Christ when he reveals this conversation to us. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God." Mary is given life-altering news by the angel Gabriel. I want you to imagine for a moment a young girl growing up in her little town, playing house, imagining what her life would be like. I want you to imagine a little girl who finally meets the man of her dreams, a, a carpenter by trade, a man by the name of Joseph. She finally finds the love of her life and man, they've got it all planned out. They've got big hopes and dreams and They're just going to own a little small carpentry shop, and they're just going to have a good family. And all of a sudden, God, in one minute of time, busts in and says, Hey Mary, I've got different plans than the ones that you have for yourself. At 14, maybe, imagine taking on the responsibility of caring for the Son of God. Her plans now are diametrically changed in what she had intended more than that, can you imagine the angst when it comes to the social uh, uh, damage that her reputation will now take? Her and Joseph are betrothed. They are set to be married. And contractually, they are married. But they have not con- uh, 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 consummated the marriage. They're not allowed to. They're set steps in Eastern culture. And they're not allowed to consummate the marriage until a certain date. If she shows up pregnant... Her social reputation will absolutely be drug through the mud. And Mary looks at this message and hears the message from Gabriel. And she is thinking in her mind, Well, this isn't what I had envisioned for my life. And yet I want you to see what she prays in verse 46. The Bible goes on to say, Mary said, here's her attitude towards the whole situation. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid, and for behold, from henceforth all, all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. Here's a woman who was willing to be used by God. Maybe it wasn't her plan for her life. Maybe she had different dreams and different hopes. But the day that God showed up and said, I'm going to give you my son and I want you to take care of him. You know what she said? I'm thankful for the opportunity. He that, hath, that is mighty hath done great things unto me. This probably wasn't the plan for her life that she had conceived, that her and Joseph had drawn out. But when God said, I have a plan for you, Mary said... I'm willing to follow that plan. Mary was willing to put up with the social uh, 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 reputation damage that would be done. She was willing to go through what would be... That she would have to go through to raise God's son. I'm telling you, this woman was a, a woman who spared absolutely nothing. You know, that's what mothers are. They're people who spent and are willing to be spent for, people, for their children. Mothers are women who, when the energy well runs out, they just dig a little deeper. Amen. Mothers are women who just spare nothing. They spare no expense, they spare no time, they just are spent. Someone said being a mother was never meant to be easy. If it had been, the fathers could have done it. And certainly I do not feel qualified or capable of doing what my wife is able to do. I'm getting for my wife, for her Mother's Day present, a night at a hotel room by herself. I'm going to send her for a pedicure and a manicure, and she's going to be in that hotel room in the quiet. And dear friend, I am terrified of what will happen at my house. (laughs) Because I do not feel qualified to do what she can do. Mothers are women who spare nothing. I want you to notice, secondly, Mary was a mother who stayed strong. Through it all, she stayed strong. I like what one mom said. She said, if your kids are giving you a headache, follow the directions on the aspirin bottle, especially the part that says, keep away from children. I think that's pretty appropriate. Moms, you have a difficult task in front of you. You have a hard job, whether your kids are infants whether they're toddlers whether they're teenagers whether they're out of the house they're the most expensive ones but i tell you no matter what age your children are mothers have a difficult job but i can just imagine how much more difficult it must have been for mary to raise the son of god have you ever asked your kids the question what were you thinking they do something idiotic they do something foolish You say, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? If Mary asked that question, she was asking a very deep theological question. She may come to Jesus and say, what were you doing, Jesus? Well, to be perfectly honest, Mother, I was trying to perfectly harmonize the dichotomy of God's grace and justice. I was trying to make sure that I could love people and also be able to judge people in the same instance. I was trying to marry the Old Testament uh, Yahweh to the New Testament Jehovah. I was trying to do all of this while being a 12-year-old child. (laughs) Can you imagine the difficulties that would have come with raising Jesus? I remember the story where he was just 12 years old and Mary and Joseph had neglected to ensure that he was in the caravan returning home. When they get to Jesus, after three days, he's been teaching in the temple. I want you to imagine how panicked this mother would have been. I have been to the park over in Fort Worth where we lost Benjamin for about uh, maybe 30 seconds. And the, uh, the sirens were going off. We had called 911. People were getting pushed out of the way by Mama Bear Mandy. I'm telling you, we were on the the hunt for Ben. Now, that was only about 30 seconds. Imagine three days Mary showing up on scene. And she arrives to Jesus and she says, Oh, Jesus, how she says, "Uh, Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Well, that's an appropriate thing. I mean, we can imagine that. She's broken hearted. She's distressed. She can't believe this has gone on. Here's what Jesus' tender response to her is. How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? As a mother, have you ever had your child say something that made a lot of sense? And it aggravated you that what they were thinking actually probably made some sense? This would have been the case. She's sorrowing. She's inconsolable. And she shows up on scene. She says, what were you thinking, Jesus? And Jesus was like, well, I was just doing what I came to the earth to do. You remember that Gabriel experience you had? I'm doing it. <laughs> this would have come along with its unique set of challenges. Mary was not always the center of Jesus' attention. In fact, there's a day where Jesus is speaking to a group of people... And the, the crowd comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and sisters there outside, they want to talk to you. As Jesus commonly did, he took this as an opportunity to teach a lesson instead of going out and talking to his mother. You know what he said? He said, but, he answered them, who is my mother? That's not what we should say today. Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. Mary wasn't always the center of Christ's attention. He had world-changing problems to attend to. He couldn't just focus on one. He had to focus on the multitudes. Jesus had a lot on his plate. And certainly, mothers, there are times when children get a lot on their plate. And it is in those times that we neglect to honor you in the way that we should. And sometimes we say things in stress and anxiety and frustration that we probably should not say. But you see, mothers deserve to be honored. She was rarely the center of Christ's attention. And more than that, she was a woman who experienced heartache and sorrow. This is kind of a remarkable thing, but one of the great mysteries of the Bible is what happened to Joseph. The Bible is silent on the matter. We don't know what happened to Jesus' earthly father. At the cross, Jesus gave the responsibility to care for his mother to John. The only reason he would do that is if Joseph is not alive. So somewhere down the line, in Jesus' 33 years of living... Jesus knew what it was to bury a father. Mary knew what it was to bury a husband. Mary was a widow. Isn't it ironic that so many Christians ask the question, why wouldn't God just heal my loved one? Why wouldn't God just fix the situation? He didn't do it for His own mother. He can go to the tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth. He can do that. But He only does that when it will bring Him glory. I'm sad to say this, but it's just the fact of the matter. It was Joseph's time to to die. And that's not a sad thing when you're a Christian because Joseph's in heaven. This is a woman who experienced sorrow. She experienced what it was to be alone. She experienced what no other mother can say when she raised God's child. But she was a woman who stayed strong. And what's probably the saddest situation of them all is when Mary brings Jesus to the temple eight days after he's born to be circumcised, a man by the name of Simeon has been revealed. The Holy Spirit has told Simeon that he would actually see the Christ before he dies. So... They bring Jesus in and Simeon looks at this little baby and holds him for the very first time. Looks deep into his eyes and he says, Oh, a light unto the Gentiles and the glory of his people. I mean, Simeon's excited. He sees the Christ, the Messiah. He sees it all. It's all fulfilled in this one little baby. And then his focus shifts from the eyes of the child. And he looks into Mary's eyes. And the Bible says he's not speaking to Joseph. He's speaking directly to Mary. And he says these words. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Meaning Mary would know the devastation of seeing her son die on Calvary. I'm telling you today, there are few things in life more difficult than a parent burying their child. I do not speak from a point of uh, mere uh, counseling on this because I have been the one selecting out the casket. I have been the one beside the grave plot wondering how they could fit such a child into such a small box. I have been there. I have buried a child. And in that moment, it is very unnatural because children are to bury their parents, not the other way around. It is an impossible task at that moment. And it's so overwhelming. It's not fair. It's not, uh, it's not the thing you want to do. And I want you to imagine that mother, as she stands at the foot of the cross, and she looks at all the people that have been following Jesus everywhere. And now she realizes that the same people he's been performing miracles for and the same people that, he, that have been calling uh, Hosanna to the King of Kings, those very same people now spit on her son and now mock her son and now rip the beard out of her son's face. And I want you to imagine the agony deep within that mother's heart. And she looks at the cross and she says, but this is my son. How could they do this to my son? And Simeon's Prophecy comes fulfilled that a sword would pierce through her soul. She felt the devastating loss of losing a child. I will tell you today though, as 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 hurtful as it is to bury a child, we have a God that knows what it is like to do that. Because at the very same time when Mary was at the foot of the cross, God the Father sat on the throne of glory looking down on the cross. And He saw His Son suffering for the sins of humanity. He saw those people rip out the beard. He saw those soldiers whip the back of the Lord. He saw all of this. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Oh, the Bible surely cannot mean that God was happy in a masochistic kind of way that He saw His Son suffering. That's not what it's saying. God was hurt when He saw His Son hurt. But what He rejoiced in is what that death was accomplishing. Because in Christ Jesus dying on that cross, He was made the captain of our salvation, the book of Hebrews calls Him. And He secured the fact that we as as sinners could believe on His death and resurrection. And in His death, we experience life. And in Christ we are made alive. So all the agony that was experienced on Calvary that day, we get to rejoice over the fact that our God died that we might live. Dear friend, today I want this day to be all about mothers. I want to honor mothers and I want to appreciate mothers. But there is a point in this service where you will have to decide if you have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you will do so today. I want to tell you, you do not want to face Jordan's chilly waters by yourself. And when that tide begins to rise around your life, I want you to realize that you do not have the answers for the afterlife. You've never met anybody that's been there, and you know no experts in this realm. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So when Jordan's chilly waters begin to rise up, how will you fare in the swelling of Jordan? When that day comes, how will you fare? Will you stand there without the lifeguard, without the answer of hope, without the Savior of the world? Will you stand there and say, but God, I've been a good person. God, I've done a lot of good things. God, I've tried to give a lot to the church. God, I've tried to be at church every Sunday. Those answers just will not cut it. Because Jesus died so that you might live There is no way you can get to heaven unless you believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why that pitiful little mother had to sit at the foot of the cross looking at her beautiful son. As the Bible says, his visage is so marred he's not even recognizable anymore. You couldn't even tell he was a man because of all that they had done to him. That woman standing there at the foot of the cross was a woman who stayed strong. I want you to not only see with me this morning, she's a woman who spared nothing. A woman who stayed strong. But I want you to take your Bible now to the book of Acts in chapter number one. She was a woman who stuck around. Mamas, y'all know how to take stains out of everything. You know how to get the sticky stuff off of a kid's blue jeans. Mamas are best known for what they can stick to. Acts chapter one. Throughout the Gospels, we find different characters introduced to the narrative. See, in Luke chapter 1, the Bible begins and tells us about the nativity scene. And how uh, uh, Caesar Augustus has made this decree that everybody should return to their homelands and, and they should be uh, a census should be taken. And so we find that the nativity scene there, as they're in the inn... You have Jesus being born, placed in the manger. Shepherds now uh, come, having the angels announce to him, them that a Savior has been born. They leave their flocks to come to see the Savior. And even today, we cannot get straight who was present at the manger scene. You look at the manger scene, there was no room for them in the inn. And then when everybody else showed up, there was no room for them in the manger, in the, in the uh, stockyards. I'm telling you. You have 37 people and 436 little uh, uh, calves and goats and sheeps and all this. I do not know who all was at the nativity scene, but I know there was one little lady. I know that Mary was at the nativity scene. Beyond that, you can debate and you can argue, but Mary was there. At 12 years old, the latest adolescent reference to Christ that we have Mary was there, or should I say she wasn't, and then she was. She was there when he was 12. She was there at the first miracle of Jesus' ministry, at the wedding of Cana Galilee. What does she do? She's the one that provokes the miracle. She's the one that says, Lord, they have no wine. And so, what does he do? Uh, He he gives them wine. and And this is the wise words of a mother. Do whatever he says. Just do what he says. It'll all work out. She was there at the first miracle. She was there at the foot of the cross, though there were many disciples that had abandoned the Lord. Twelve men had been following Him for years. They weren't there. Mary was. I want you to take your Bible now, Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 14. The Bible goes on to say, Oh, I'm still in Luke. That might be why I'm trying to wonder where in the world I'm at. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. With the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus. And with his brethren. What's interesting is throughout the ministry of Christ. The Bible gives these parenthetical phrases and it says. And Mary, the mother of Jesus was there. The Bible says, uh, the mother of Jesus stood without. Now, throughout the gospel, the whole purpose of the gospels is to show what Christ is doing. But every once in a while, the gospel writer will just take the spotlight, if you will, and take it off the Lord's ministry and place it there on Mary. There she was. She was there in the beginning at the nativity scene, and now she hears in Acts chapter 1, at the, at the first church services, if you will. I mean, she's there in the upper room. There is only one figure that I, can, that I can name that was at the nativity scene, that was at Jesus when He's 12 years old teaching in the temple, that was there when Jesus performed His first miracle, that was there at the foot of the cross, that was there in the group of women going to anoint the Lord's body with spices uh, on the morning of His resurrection... I can only count by my estimation one person that fits those requirements. And it is not Paul. It is not Peter. It is not John. It is not Joseph. It is not any of these men. It is Jesus' mother. She just stuck to it. She was there. Always in the shadows. Today is a day designed to bring you out of the shadows, mom. You see, today is what we should probably do every day. To tell you how much you mean to us, to tell you how much we love you and appreciate you. But today, we were somebody way back when was wise enough to say, if we won't do it every day, we at least need to do it one day. And so it may be uncomfortable for you today, Mom, to get all this attention. Maybe you like it. That's okay. But today we pull you out of the shadows. And for so many of the things that you do that go unthanked, we want to thank you for. And so many of the things that you think are unseen, we want to make sure that you know that we notice. You know, I think one of the most complimentary things your children can do, Mom, is to not thank you for everything you do. Say, what do you mean? That means that your children know you're always going to be there. They know you're there. They never question your loyalty. They never question your stick to they, they know mom's going to hang in there. And so they go unseen, they go unthanked, and that's not right at all. But today we pull you out of the shadows and we say, Mom, thank you for all you do for your family. And I'll tell you, our nation needs more godly mothers. We need godly mothers. I read a sermon earlier this week. The man pointed out how so many people in the Bible did not have godly fathers. But there are very few that did not have a godly mother. When you don't have a godly father, God gave us godly mothers. Amen. Thank you moms for all you do. Today we pull you out of the shadows. Hang in there. Spare nothing. And stay strong.